Season two of Love and Context podcast welcomes you. Get ready for engaging unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Our mission remains unchanged to explore the Bible through the powerful lens of love. In this new season, we'll embark on a journey together, unearthing fresh insights and gaining deeper understanding of how we can love God and live out our faith in practical ways. So let's dive into this season of Love and Context, where love and the context of the Bible intersect to transform our lives. Welcome back to the Love and Context podcast with Ben and Spencer. I'm not Ben. I'm not Spencer. Yeah, uh, in case you were wondering. We are, however, joined by somebody who it actually is this week. We have <laughs> Captain Shelby from the Salvation Army with us today. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Can we? Can you tell us a little bit, one, about yourself, but also about the Salvation Army? Because you, you kind of gave me some like high points on the Salvation Army, things I didn't know, like founded and like uh, where it came from and those kind of things. Right. Yeah. So my husband and I are pastors in the Salvation Army, and we've been up here in Alaska for roughly three years. Now, he's probably going to listen to this, so who outranks who? I do, <laughs> but that's only by years of service. Yeah. So we met going into the training school, which is... Um, kind of like a seminary? A seminary, right? It's a two-year program down in California, and the only reason I outrank him is because I was a second year, as they call it, while he was a first year, and we met, fell in love, and... God wrote the rest of the story. I, I hear you're saying that, but I choose to believe that you outrank him because you're better. So that's just what I choose. I to will believe. say neither here nor there, <laughs> but I'm sure he'll listen to this episode and you're welcome. You're welcome, Brian. <laughs> so to be fair, he moves up the ranks to captain in June. So then we'll be on equal playing field. So awesome. Yeah. How long have you been with us here in the city? Because you have been all over the place. Uh, yeah. We have been here since summer of 2021. Okay. Uh, before that, we were in SoCal for a couple of years. I'm sorry. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> we know we love it up here. Love the slower pace. I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, so I'm used to the rain and yeah. the clouds. Yeah. the self- Dramatic weather is what we call it. Dramatic weather. Yep. Yeah, the Salvation Army, most people think we're just thrift stores. We don't do a very good job of promoting ourselves out there, but we are an evangelical church Mm -hmm. closely aligned to the Methodists or the Church of Nazarene. Mm -hmm. And we were founded by William and Catherine Booth who in 1865 were getting tired of the way church was done and decided that they wanted to take church to the streets and go and serve the least of these. And so they pulled in the ranks, you know, people down and out and destitute and told them that there's a better way of life for them. He adopted kind of the militaristic way of doing things just so that you wouldn't know the difference between someone who's off the street and someone who has, you know, much wealth. It kind of wearing the uniform and all of that kind of puts everybody on an even playing field, right? regardless of your social stature. And it's, you know, it's survived however many years. We're still wearing uniforms. We still have ranks. Our members are called soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Salvation Army 
we're a church, evangelical church, but we also do a lot of social services. Maybe we're most known for our social services. Yeah, I was going to say, so in addition to, you guys have regular service each week mm-hmm. and preaching the gospel and reaching mm-hmm. out, because I know that uh, even our YWAM people did uh, BBS mm-hmm. at uh, Salvation Army. That was this awesome, year. yeah. And so, but you guys also do a lot of, like you said, social services. Sure, you have the thrift store, mm-hmm. but you guys do a number of food boxes a, a month. Yeah, we do. We have two food box distributions here. One that's through, we get the food through the, the Alaska Food Bank and mm-hmm. do, you know, commodities. And then one, our food bank at our church is solely stocked, I guess, by people in the community and, and, and what we get from that. Since we have the thrift store, we also provide vouchers for clothing and and household items if people need it. And then we also have our soup kitchen that we run Monday through Friday. So. And this is by no stretch a throwing shade at anybody who came before you. Mm-hmm. But I do know that since you guys have been here, mm-hmm. the Salvation Army has been more involved in the community. Mm. You guys have been doing a like just a, a fabulous job of getting connected with the churches, mm. connected with the people. So we're really glad you're here in this in this city with us. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, it's plus my kid loves your kid. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was yeah. I was at the I was at the daycare and yeah. so my son was leaving. Yeah. And your daughter's like, Goodbye, James. Goodbye. She has to say goodbye to everybody yeah. and everything. <laughs> it was everything. it was pretty great. Yeah. She's a social butterfly, and she does not get that from from me. It's probably gets from Brian. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, in line with our podcast, which is called Love and Context, mm-hmm. you know that we're in the middle of a series talking about women in the Bible, right? And uh, throughout the series, we're overemphasizing women because we feel they've, they've been de-emphasized in ministry mm-hmm. and really in church history. Mm-hmm. And so, what we're doing is we're going through and we're, we're pr- trying to course correct that a little bit and kind of help people understand: Hey, God has always been about men and women working together for the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And, and that it's not about suppressing, it's actually about lifting up and about going further and further in the kingdom of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So with that in mind, we're going to be talking about women leaders in the Old Testament. So this is not an extensive list. These are just big names that we picked out right. to talk about. It's kind of like I was, I was telling you, Spencer, when we were getting ready. Yeah. I was like, I feel like I'm just skipping a stone mm. across you know, barely skipping a stone. Yeah, we originally had talked about doing a four-episode miniseries, mm-hmm. and then we extended it out to eight, and like I was like, we could have honestly done a full season right? based on what we're talking about. Yeah, There's just so much that when you actually start looking and saying, what is God doing in this situation, mm-hmm. there's just so much stuff that comes up. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to be talking about a number of women in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. but like I'm saying, this is not extensive. Right. No, not, not by any means today. So we're going to be moving kind of fast through it, um, and there's a number of points we're going to be hitting, but just know that. that exactly was just... how many numbers, John <laughs> Well, here's the deal. If I say four to five numbers, you're going to say 45. Exactly. <laughs> he does that really every my favorite time. joke. Every time. Also, if he says 45, I was like, four to five? Uh-huh. I do it the other way, too. Yeah. So yeah. the joke works both ways. Yeah. So you have to be really careful what you say around. Yeah. <laughs> so- we're just going to be barely skipping a stone, though. There's a lot of ground to cover. So by all means, we'd encourage you to go do your own research and mm-hmm. reading on this. Mm-hmm. And don't just take our word for it. Right. Uh, With that being said, one of the first people we're going to talk about, we actually talked about a lot last year we did. Um, in the in the Torah series. We talked about Miriam, mm-hmm. who is the sister of both Aaron and Moses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her first introduction of Miriam is actually when his mom takes uh, the basket, puts Moses in the basket, and sends him out into the river. Now- right. 
it does not name Miriam there, right? It actually says that the sister goes. But when you start to look into genealogies later in Chronicles, uh, a few of the a few of the other places you start to list, there aren't any other daughters listed. Right. So I feel like we can reasonably ascertain that it was probably Miriam that went. Right. Even though she's not necessarily named in that story. But she is the one who actually goes and she's, she goes along with Moses when the mother definitely obeys Pharaoh and definitely puts her son in the, in the Nile. Mm-hmm. He did not say that he, she couldn't put him in a basket first. <laughs> so that's one of those things where we're like, I was like, listen, we're going to obey, right. obey the, the laws of the land, but we're going to definitely skirt those rules as far as yeah. we can. I see a loophole. Yeah, I see a loophole that we're going to exploit <laughs> for the kingdom of God here. And also, you know, for my baby, because I don't want to put my baby in the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know that. So then Moses is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. She's brought into the household and she says, oh, it's a Hebrew baby because, of course, he's circumcised. Right. So they would know immediately that he's a Hebrew. And so she's not confused about his parentage. But then she brings actually the mother now becomes the mace, uh, uh, nursemaid mm-hmm. for Moses. One of the things we talked about in the Torah series is we, we have this concept that Moses doesn't know where he comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from movies like maybe the Prince of Egypt and, and some of those, great which great movie. But not necessarily biblically accurate. Right. In all of its places. Though, I will say that every time we look back at that cast, it is stacked. It's a good uh, one. It is a good cast. So my favorite good. part about that movie is like it ends with Moses coming down to Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and if you know your Bible, you're like, there's a golden calf at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's where it's to get real ugly. Yeah. Right. But it's, it looks like this tried on the and he's coming down. Yeah. You're like, you do know you're about to throw those things down and break them, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Miriam, like one of the cool things about Miriam, though, is- Going off the, the going off of the assumption that she is a sister mentioned in Exodus mm-hmm. two, which most scholars agree on, mm-hmm. the bravery of a Hebrew girl to go to the daughter of Pharaoh mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, I have a solution." Right, like that. That actually is a moment of leadership from a young woman, Absolutely. which is something you don't actually hear or see that often, right, in scripture. And so, like that is huge that that right there is mentioned. Right. We already get a kind of a, like a peek into her personality mm-hmm. is that she's somebody who's going to speak up. Right. She's not going to let things go. Right. Yeah. Which is going to work in her favor and not in her favor throughout yeah. the Old Testament. But <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that's also going to be the case with most of the other men in the Bible as well. We get a little bit of insight into her personality and right. how she operates as a as a leader, because that's not a not a super common thing, especially in patriarchal culture, especially in slavery. Like that's not necessarily something you expect somebody to just step up and just speak into it. Right. You know, and so all throughout growing up, it was likely that Moses, Miriam, Aaron all know each other, mm-hmm. especially since later Moses is in the desert raising or uh, shepherding sheep. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I'm going to send Aaron with you. And he's not like, well, who's Aaron? Right. And he knows who Aaron is. And apparently Aaron knows where he is. Mm-hmm. Right. So even though he's run from Egypt, like they know where he is. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just think that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I wanted to point out here. So once they've actually exited Egypt, it actually comes and it says in verse uh, 20, they get to the Red Sea and Moses leads them in the song. And it says in verse 20, it says, then Miriam, the prophet, mm-hmm. Aaron's sister. So Miriam, the what? The prophet. Prophet. Oh, okay. Prophetess. But I, I thought women weren't involved in leadership in the Bible. Hmm. Interesting. And it's not the only time that women are going to be listed as prophets in the Bible. Actually, Deborah, who we're going to be talking about today, is listed as a judge, but also as a prophet. Right. And Hulda, who's the last mm-hmm. one we're going to be talking about today, also listed as a prophet. Right. As well. And then Anna, the New Testament, was also listed as a prophet. Right. Yeah. Temple as well. Yeah. And then you have Philip's daughters, who were all listed mm-hmm. as prophets. Right. Uh, if you read uh, Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes with Kenneth Bailey, 
he talks about how Paul addresses in the Corinthian church in First Corinthians. He tells the women that when you are leading, when you are prophesying, when you are speaking, right. you're actually supposed to do it a certain way. Right. He's given some instructions on how to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, the implication is if I'm giving you instructions on how to do it properly. That you're doing it. That you're doing it. Right. And which is why we also have that conversation. We'll get to it in a few episodes or when we actually get to the New Testament and we're talking about women in ministry. Because there's the other side of that where people are like, well, he says women should be silent in church. Okay, well, he's just told women how to lead in church. Right. So you can't lead and be silent. Right. Okay, so yeah. what's he really talking about? It turns out that context matters. Right. You have to take you have to take each book in its own context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yes, it connects to other parts of scripture, but you got to take it in its own context of the, what Paul was writing to Timothy has its own implications versus what Paul was writing to Corinth, which has its own implications. Right. And there, while there might be some overlap, yeah, they were written to two different groups of people. Exactly. And like to and to put it in a different type of context, like if we if someone from America was to write a letter to the church in Texas, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. a letter to the church in New York, yeah. right? Those are vastly different. Those letters. are va- vastly different. Yes. Right. Like, like one of them, they're like, "Listen, stop making everything so big." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other ones, like, wait, you let people carry guns in the church, and so you know, like, yeah, it's yeah. vastly different. Context. Absolutely. You know, you might think you're, hey, well, Ben, you're off your rocker. Spencer, you're off your rocker. They would never assume that you're off your rocker. Just us. Get to know me a little. Bit. Just, uh, just take a look later in the story. Miriam and Moses and Aaron are having this conflict, mm. and Miriam and Aaron are like. Oh, does God only talk to Moses? Doesn't mm-hmm. he talk to us? So clearly they're having conversations with God. Right. And it talks about how they're in leadership and they're arguing with Moses about his Cushite wife. Right. Sounds like a very family argument. Uh-huh. Right. Some conflict. Yep. There's there's some conflict. That so- absolutely sounds like something a family would argue yes. about. Yeah. <laughs> and- be real. Every family has that one in-law that you're like, oh, I'm going to have to see them at the family gathering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> there, there is this like I mean I don't know which of my family listened to this so I was going to leave that vague so we'll just let's not go let's there. keep on going yeah <laughs> but once again pointing out that this is a patriarchal society so then women when women are listed mm-hmm. because they're not actually that often listed in the Bible right yeah. right so when they are listed there's a reason that they're being listed if you actually look in First Chronicle when she's listed in the genealogy she's listed along with Aaron and Moses right which is very rare. Like, it's very rare for women to be listed in genealogy. In fact, next week we're going to talk about women in the genealogy of Jesus. Right. Because it's weird. Yeah. Like, it's really weird that they're even listed. I want to actually consider one more part where it talks about Miriam, mm-hmm. and it's in Micah 6, 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelby, could you read that for us? Micah 6, 4 says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Okay, so it's I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron, right, and, and Miriam. Miriam. Interesting. So if I'm off my rocker, so is Micah, because as far as leaders in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. Miriam is absolutely by God and by a prophet said to be a leader right. of Israel. Like God sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to lead them. Yeah. It sounds like they're on even playing field. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, when we study Torah, we know that the relationship God had with Moses was different than anybody else. Absolutely. Right. God was working through Moses in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about her today, but Zipporah has some very interesting stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, she keeps Moses from getting killed at one point. Mm-hmm. Right. So the women in Moses' life are actually incredibly important. Right. Right. Yeah. So this leads us into the next character we're going to talk about, Deborah. So 
Deborah we find in the book of Judges, and she is a very interesting character because, one, she is a judge, so she mm-hmm. isn't place, placed in a position of authority. Right. Right, which is, again, something that, something that we often don't see in the Old Testament. And she's towards the beginning of the book of Judges, and it happens right after Ehud. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Ehud was one of my favorite characters in, in the Bible. I loved reading this story. Love, love Good old Ehud. Ehud. Love Ehud's story. On a side note, I found it very funny, not funny, but interesting, that they characterized Ehud as, they made it a point to say that he was a left-handed man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a, a little little off topic here, but I'm yeah. just going to go ahead and point this out. So one of the reasons that they say that about him is typically if somebody used their left hand for greeting people, it was really uncommon for them to be left-handed. Right. Because you're left-handed, it was usually your business hand. Oh. Like, so when you'd when you you'd go to, yeah, yeah, that was your business hand. So you actually did everything else with your right hand. Mm-hmm. So they say they extended you the right hand of fellowship, mm-hmm. right? Well, we were talking, I was actually preaching last week with uh, Les, who will be on here during the mm-hmm. uh, spiritual gifts series. Yeah. But about when Jesus says, if somebody strikes you on your right cheek, mm-hmm. the only way to strike somebody on your right cheek is to do one of two things. You either hit them with your left hand, right. which is not a good hand, no, mm-hmm. or you have to backhand them with your right hand. And both of them are a sign of disrespect, mm. and they're not actually seeing you on an even playing field. And Jesus says, if they do that, turn to them your other cheek and force them to face you right, with the proper respect. Yeah. Like, stand up for justice right in the middle of that, because it's a very honor-shame culture. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about the left-handed thing is, that's just fascinating is, so culturally, back in that day when they were searching for weapons, they would situ- typically just search on your left side. Mm-hmm. And so if you're left-handed, you'd have your weapon on your right, right. On, yeah. on your right side. So they typically want to search there because they would assume that you're going to draw with your right hand. Oh. And so that's actually, a lot of scholars argue that that's how he was able to sneak that weapon sneak into. the sword in. Huh. Yeah. It's an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Huh. I, like, I don't, that's, that's, I mean, could be, could not be, but. Yeah. You know. So on the heels of Ehud, because they had a level of peace. Right. Then we have Deborah show up because. Yeah. Not there's a reoccurring theme in the book of Judges is that again Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, those Israelites. Yeah, and I've, I, of course I've heard people talk about it. they call it the cycle of sin. Um, I, I choose to call it the cycle of redemption. In mm. other words, I tend to focus on God's goodness, not man's failure. Yeah. I like that. I think that that's a, a better thing for us to focus on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But again, Israel does what's evil in the sight of the Lord, and so he once again raises up a, a, judge. a judge. So mm-hmm. at that time, Deborah was a prophet, right? And it says that she's the wife of Lapidoth. Which is just a fantastic name, right? <laughs> There's probably some Hebrew scholar that's like, that's not how that name's pronounced. <laughs> and I definitely care. And he was leading Israel at the time. So she held court and Israel brought their issues for her to to receive. Right. Resolve. Right. Like so this is very this is very normal from Torah that you're supposed to bring your issues that you can't resolve among yourselves to a higher authority. Makes sense. She is the higher authority mm-hmm. that they're looking for to actually uh, resolve these conflicts. Right. She is the higher authority. It's Deborah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you're like, why are you saying that? Well, if you're in the series, you can have an idea. So she, but she's married, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But he isn't the one that leads. Right. He's not the one that resolves the conflicts, mm-hmm. right? She's the one entrusted to judge and to lead. Like, just don't underestimate how important this is in the right. text, that the fact that she's noted to have a husband, mm-hmm. but he's not the one who leads. In fact, he has nothing in the story other than his name shows up. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And like, for all intents and purposes, they could have left his name out. Yeah. Right. But it's so important that it's there because it's showing that like, hey, like you're just saying, 
Right. Like she's the one in authority. Right. Mm-hmm. She's the one in authority in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like God has placed her in authority and she's walking in her authority. Mm-hmm. And it's important, I think, to also note that we don't know the backstory of Lapid, Lapidoth. Lapidoth. Nailed it. Excuse me. If but, you don't know, just wrong and strong. That's how, that's how we were. But we would assume that he supports his wife in in her God-given role in in society, right? Yeah, there's nothing in the text to implicate he doesn't. Yeah, I, I think like the assumption that. would be in the text, if it doesn't say they didn't do something, that they probably did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if, if it doesn't say they're not supportive, then they're probably generally supportive. Right. You shouldn't make an assumption in the no. name in a marriage. No, no. So yeah. there's no nothing in the text to implicate he doesn't support. either either way. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Now to re illustrate this point, I think in this story, one of the things that God does when he writes this story, and, and honestly like this history, but like as as the text is being written, is there's this guy so in the story of Deborah, somebody has come in and they're oppressing Israel, they've done evil, and so like oppression has come. God raises up judges. So Deborah is the judge mm-hmm. and the prophet and but Barak is actually gonna be the general leading the army. Right. But Barack's like, yeah, I'm not going to go and do it unless you go with me. Mm. Why do you think? Do you think Barack was just a coward or he just needed support? I I mean, okay, so I, that requires a lot of like me assuming what Barack is. So I think in the text it's implicated that he is concerned about his the reach of his authority. I think mm-hmm. in the text you can, you can mm-hmm. because he's, he's concerned that God won't go with him if he goes because he mm-hmm. will win. But because of that, because he doesn't trust in God's calling on his life, which it seems to be from Deborah's conversation in the text, because she says, because you wouldn't go and do this and I right. have to go with you, right. the glory is not going to go to you. It's going to go to a, a woman. woman. Right. Uh, the implication of that is that if he'd gone into it himself, I believe that he would have gotten the glory. There you go. But he didn't. Yeah. He was. He had the opportunity to step up and go and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Barak goes and overthrows Sisera who is ultimately runs away and is taken up by Jael, mm-hmm. Haber's wife. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. This is the story of the, of the tent peg. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Deborah leads her people in worship again with Barak, but she's also listed first. It says Deborah and Barak. Mm-hmm. Now we don't think about that in our culture, but in Hebrew culture and in the way that it's being written, the more important is always listed first, which is why in the new Testament, when it says Priscilla and Aquila, mm-hmm. That's an important distinction. Right. Because if we were actually listing them in order of importance, Priscilla is listed first, not Aquila. Right. It should have been Aquila and Priscilla's house. Right. Excuse me, we're in the Old Testament now? Oh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about, I, I am covering thousands of years, so that is that is actually really fair. That if you actually look in, um, in chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose until I arose a mother in Israel. Mm. And then after she does this, the land has peace for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Right now there's a, there's a downward trend that ends up happening in judges where the, the period of time starts getting less and less and less. They have peace right. right? because the cycles start taking less time to repeat. Right. By the way, that's also just sin in your life. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you don't actually deal with sin generationally, it takes less and less time for it to repeat. Yep. That's one of the reasons why we talk about as, as, as fathers, as mothers, as parents, our job is to make sure the generational stuff ends with us. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, but we didn't get into parenthood because it was easy. Nope. And if anybody thinks you're getting into parenthood because it's easy, oh, good golly. I have got a surprise for you. <laughs> right? Yeah. You can just have my kid for a couple of weeks. And yeah, throw mine into the mix. Listen, too. I had your kid for like a week. 
and your kid is great. But after a week, I'm, I'm also like, well, after a week, I'm also like, this isn't my kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like kids just fine. I don't like other people's kids for extended periods of time. You, That's you, fair. you know what I mean? I get it. Like, get your it. kids are great for like two days. Yeah. After that, I'm like, listen, I didn't birth you. I won't well, to birth you either way. But true. But it, it just gets it gets more difficult. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All that being said, we're happy to watch your kid anytime you use <laughs> Yeah, Deborah. Deborah is a really good story. You know, like I always love it when um, when I'm having a conversation with people who don't believe that women are enabled to be leaders in the Bible. They're like, "Okay, we'll talk about the Old Testament, and you can't talk about Deborah." And I was like, "Okay, well then you can't talk about First Timothy." Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, are we are we really playing this game? Yeah, we can't cherry pick. You know, you can't yeah. cherry pick the things that, yeah. that show up in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can look at them contextually. What's going on? Yeah. Well, and, and also, if I, whole... and also. By the end of this episode, you're going to be like, well, you could eliminate Deborah and you'd still be fine from your argument perspective. I was like, yeah, I would. Well, Deborah's there. You also need to point out, we also need to point out that the story of Deborah, it's not like three, four verses. It's two chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a significant four, story. Yeah. It's four and five of the book of Judges. Right. So it is, it is a significant story. It's not one that you just gloss over. Exactly. Right. right. And so if you're taking this woman who is in prominent leadership role in Israel. Right. And then you're saying, oh, we're just going to gloss over that, even though the story is actually vast compared to some of the other stories we cherry pick on. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to skip over that. Exactly. So this brings us this brings us to Esther. Mm. Yeah. And so this is another one you can't really skimp over. No. Yeah. No. It's an entire book. It's an entire book. (laughs) And and she is featured prominently throughout it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Esther's really interesting because it takes part in the Babylonian captivity. Mm -hmm. Technically Persian captivity at this point. Right. But we're going to be talking about more about it later in our later series, Kings and Kingdoms, because we're going to talk about King Asawares, Mm -hmm. who is the husband of Queen Esther. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this book more. Right now we're just focusing in on Esther. And- uh, we know her name is Esther, a name which actually means uh, star, mm. but her Hebrew name is Hadassah, which is a beautiful name. Yeah. Like right? It. Yeah. Meaning myrtle or tree, myrtle or tree, right? It's it's a myrtle tree. Mm. It's actually very interesting how often in the Bible women are named after trees, which kind of makes sense because you're talking about bearing fruit, mm. yeah, right? A, a right. tree bears fruit that women are frequently named after trees. I believe that's the same with Tamar is yeah. named after a tree after a tree as well. Nice. Mm-hmm. So in the story of Esther, there is Queen Vashti who upsets her husband and according to a lot of the Mishnah mm-hmm. is eliminated, mm-hmm. executed. And so he goes, but then he gets lonely because he didn't think there was planned. Yeah. And so they, they do the search and ultimately Esther wins and becomes the new queen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know we're talking about Esther, but I think we should touch on Vashti and the boldness and the courage that she had. To stand up to her husband to say that she was not going to be a trophy wife yeah. and be paraded around in well, front of people. Mm-hmm. I, I do have a book recommendation in here. There's a book by Rabbi David Foreman, who is an Orthodox Jew, mm-hmm. and we've recommended a number of times. He has a book on the book of Esther called The Queen You Thought You Knew. Mm-hmm. One of his, his statements in there is that most of the scholarship agrees that when King Asawares Mm-hmm. Uh, calls for Vashti to show up mm-hmm. in her crown. The implication is her crown and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So that he's actually literally putting her full body on display. Right. And she's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. No, thank you. Now, the unfortunate thing that happens is because he is in front, like, because had, had she done that just to him, mm-hmm. probably doesn't die. 
Yeah. Right. But the unfortunate thing is it's it's while he's doing this, these big parties where he's trying to gain political favor. Because, right. Because mm-hmm. if you actually understand how, no, I'm going to recommend reading that book because uh, Foreman's going to help you understand this. But there's all these political alliances that happen in Persia because you can't govern everything mm-hmm. like with an iron thumb. You have to like leave people in charge of different areas. Mm-hmm. And so even though you're in authority over it, you still need these people who are like the underlords to support you. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so, like, he takes it as a matter of his pride being attacked right. and just eliminates his queen. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I agree with you that, like, her standing up to him is is incredibly brave. Right. It's also what gives Esther a little bit of pause later. <laughs> She's like, okay, but I don't know if you remember how I got this gig. Right. Like, <laughs> don't know if you remember how I got this gig. It, it was it was kind of a sketchy situation. Exactly. You know, in, in that case, like, Vashti is... I, I really appreciate the fact that she stands up for herself in that in yeah. essay because, you know, kings just get whatever they want. Right. Right. Yeah. So Esther ends up stepping into this position of authority. Right. And then to not beat a dead horse talking about the, the book of Esther because we, we're not going to recap the entire story here. There's a guy by the name of Haman who doesn't like this guy named Mordecai who is Hes- uh, Esther's uncle. Right. And because Mordecai is a Jew, Haman is like, you know what? King... You really like me. Why don't we get rid of all the Jews? All the Jews. Jews. Mm -hmm. Annihilation. Right? And so the king sends out the edict that it's going to happen. And there's actually a fantastic connection, which we've talked about in the past, between Numbers 30 and the the story in Esther. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that when when somebody does something, specifically somebody you're attached to, so if your husband does something Mm -hmm. and you stay silent, Mm -hmm. it's the same as agreeing with what happens. And so okay. to stay silent is actually to affirm or agree with what's happening. Okay. That when you're connected with somebody in such a way, it is your responsibility that if you don't agree with it, you have to speak up. Mm. Or else you're just agreeing. Right. Mordecai actually quotes from note numbers 30, mm-hmm. which we don't necessarily see in Esther, like a direct quote, but there's like all these different references that come from numbers 30. Right. And Esther says, okay, well, pray for me because I'm going to go and talk to the king. Mm. And so then she approaches and she has the the banquet and then she she confronts Haman on his plot. Asawari is, is is really amped up at this point and eliminates Haman. But one of the things that is really interesting is when we tell this story, a lot of times that's where we stop. Yeah. That's not where the story stops. No. Because the Jews are still on the schedule to be eliminated. Right. So one of the things that I think is really interesting here is that Esther then goes to Asawari's and says, and says, okay, but what about my people? Are my people just going to be eliminated? He says, well, here is my signet ring, my authority. Mm-hmm. You can go and do whatever you want, but I'm not going to take back my previous command. Right? Mm-hmm. You can go and, and send something out. So her and Mordecai come up with this plan that allows the Jews to defend themselves and add confusion into the situation where people are like, okay, are we supposed to take them out or not? <laughs> right. And so, like, it's it's a situation where they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do and provides for the situation for the entire nation to be saved. Mm-hmm. And so Esther steps into his her authority as queen, right. uses the relationship with the king, mm-hmm. and steps out in her authority and writes a counteracting edict that ultimately saves her people. Now, if we're talking about people in leadership, I mean, I don't know how you get much more leadership than mm-hmm. that. It's right there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the other part of the Esther story that we often skip over is that the Jews actually fight back? Right. Yeah. At the end of at the end of the book, at the command of who? Mm-hmm. At the command of Esther. Right. Yeah. Right. They actually they actually fight back and take back their take back their cities. Right. Yeah. And so 
this story isn't just a story of what Esther did. It's yeah. what she empowered her people. Oh, it's like do. that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's so it's she's a vastly important character. Right. That we can't just like skimp over. Yeah. And even before going to the king, it says that she fasted and prayed before and led her mm-hmm. people to fast and pray with her. Yeah. Before yeah. she even approached the yeah. throne. Of- yeah. She led her people. She led yeah. her people. Yeah. yeah. If it seems like we're being a little heavy handed, we are. And and we're doing that for good reason. Once again, because we're trying to emphasize what is being ignored. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things that we talked about in the first week with, with Laura Krug is I said, not every woman is called to be a pastor. No. Also, not every man is called to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to help people understand is there is a specific calling when God puts on your life for this, this role. And the one determining factor of whether God calls you is not your gender. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. That is that is not the determining factor of what you, how you serve or what you get to serve as. Right. That is not the determining factor. And so just just so you know, as we're going through this, and you're welcome to disagree with us, we will still love you. It is not a salvation issue, and we will just agree up in heaven, and God will be like, oh, no, this is what I meant to do. Amen. Chances are we'll probably both be wrong on some capacity. <laughs> but we're, we're looking at the Bible and saying, how does God want us to live this out in order to push his kingdom forward? Yeah. Right. So last, last, last person we want to talk about in leadership in the Old Testament, women leadership. I want to throw a name out there. And are you familiar with the prophet by the name of Huldah? No, this is a story that I had glossed over, yeah. if I'm being honest. Yeah. I was like, who is Huldah? I've never heard heard this woman before. I love the name, first of all. It's like Huldah. Huldah. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a great name. So this is actually stepping back in time because they're not in captivity at this, time, at this point. Right. So this is... In the reign of King Josiah. Right. Now, if you're familiar with Josiah, you know that Josiah comes to be king when he's very young. Yeah. Yes. And and he's thought to be a very good king. And then they eventually, they bring out, they're like, hey, we found the one of the books of the law. Mm. And he's like, oh, well, let's read it. And they read it. And he's like, yeah, we're not doing any of that stuff. We're not doing any of that. He's like, well, we need to, we need to clean house. And so he just goes through and he starts cleaning house all throughout Israel. <laughs> and like just, I mean, completely goes and he's like, we're demolishing the high places. We're getting rid of the idols. We're getting rid of the prophets. He's like, we're not supposed to be doing any of that stuff. We're going to start reading the word of God on a regular basis. He's like, we're just cleaning house all the way through. <laughs> side, side note, the story of just, if you are listening and you're a <laughs> young person in <laughs> ministry leadership role, this is a great story. Yeah, it's absolutely. Great story. great story. Absolutely. That side now. Now we get back. <laughs> now the downside for Josiah is prior to his reign, God has already said, "Listen, we've had enough kings that are not going to do what I has say. Right. So I'm going to send you guys off into the captivity because you got to learn to tell the story right. Mm. You got to learn to be the story correctly. Right. And until you're going to do that, you're going to need to go into captivity. Right. God's already said, hey, this is coming. Now, here's the interesting thing about that that particular situation. And uh, Shelby, I'm going to have you pull this up. So Josiah realizes they're not following and they clean house. And this is the this is the word that Huldah gives Josiah. So it's actually the, the priest of Josiah. They go and they go and get, get a word from Huldah. Right. Like the person responsible for spiritual formation of the nation, the priest, goes to get a word from God from a prophet. Right. Right. And this is the word. It starts in verse 15. Yeah. Second Kings 22, 15. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. 
I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive when you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you with your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. And so they took her answer back to the king. Now, that's really cool because if you know Josiah, you know that he reigns for another, I think it's 40 years, mm-hmm. roughly. So captivity is on the horizon. Conquest is on the horizon for them because they've just, we're not obeying God. We're not obeying God. We're the anti-story over and over again. They're right. offering kids to the fire, like all sorts of things that are just like deplorable. Right. Josiah comes in, he cleans house and God says, listen, it's still coming. Mm. But because you, one guy. Humbled yourself, repented. Right. It's not coming until you're gathered to your ancestors. Mm. You will not see this. Mm. God brings grace on an entire nation for for like 40 years because of one person's obedience. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. This is hypothetical. What do you think happens if the entire nation follows Josiah's lead and repents? Maybe they don't even go into captivity. Exactly. Because the grace of God has always been greater than the wrath of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we read stories of people asking God to, if just one person or if two people find favor in them that they're following you, that you would spare this city or spare uh-huh. spare this group. And God, God follows through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it says in the, in the word, the king, king of all Judah, mm-hmm. sent his priest to go get a word from the prophet. They who apparently has the authority to hear from God. And he brings this word back to them. Josiah accepts the word mm. and the authority that comes with it. Mm. Like that's incredible. Yeah. Incidentally, it does say that Holda has a husband. Yeah. Once again. Yeah. She's the prophet and her husband is something called the keeper of the wardrobe. Nice. Yeah. So I'm not like it's the only time that actually shows up in the Bible. It's keeper of the wardrobe. So he's part of the court in some capacity, and right. yet it's Holda. That they actually want to speak to, right? And this is a this is this is such a crucial word for us to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like God, God wants to pour favor into the world, but He's looking for people who are willing to be part of the story, not against the story, right? Yeah. Right. And we didn't talk about a lot of people, women in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about a few more next week when we talk about the line of Jesus. Yeah. But I mean, like, there's there's so many women we didn't talk about, right? You know. And not all, not just good examples, like bad examples too, like Jezebel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like the women who were in authority in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. Uh, the Queen of Sheba, yeah. Right. There are there are women all throughout the Bible that are, are in authority of some capacity, and because they're evil, we're like, oh well, you know. I was like, okay, well, they're also evil kings. Does that mean men shouldn't be kings too? Well, there's also the good intentions of some that we've talked about, like yeah. Miriam, 
she got her hubris in the way and was God struck her with leprosy because she spoke against Moses and and his wife. So even those in good authority who are hearing from God, it's that trickle when you get when sin enters in and your humanness ends, it's a slippery slope for all of us. Yeah. If we don't continually clean our hands and um, repent to God. Yeah. Well, and this is why the humility and repentance piece is so huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like you see that whole of calling Josiah, like calling Josiah out. I mean, yeah. Like because of your like humble nature. Right. And your ability to repent. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's one of the things that made King David such a prominent king. Yeah. Is like, because by all accounts, like if you actually look at some of his stuff, you're like, man, you were a. You missed it. You, uh, and we're not, we're not talking about dispatch you, but there's lots of things there's in life where you're like, things. yeah. Well, so I was, mm-hmm. so I was listening to a guy speak and, and he was like, he's like, let's be thankful God could use broken people. And then he mm-hmm. went through the list. He's like, Abraham, Abraham, like sold his wife at, or like pretended his wife was a sister, which is technically true. Most like, murdered. Yeah. Somewhere. It keeps going down and then he gets to David and he's like, and that list is too long to cover in this sermon. <laughs> That's horrific. And I was like, <laughs> and I was, and, and uh, so. But when we constantly live that life of humility and repentance mm-hmm. before the Lord, that's when the Lord, that's that's one of the times when the Lord shows up in mm-hmm. our lives where where he's like, hey, you recognize where you fell short right. and you're coming back to me. Yeah. When we recognize our total mm-hmm. depravity and our constant need yeah. for yeah. God. Yeah. Really quick, just talking through the women and just understanding like what God how God used them. Like we have Miriam in one of the most crucial portions of the Old Testament in the Exodus, right? Right. God bringing his people out of uh, slavery and ultimately to found a nation, which is going to produce Messiah, which is going to open up uh, salvation for the entire world, which right. is always the purpose. Yeah. Coming back to Genesis 12, right? That God was going to work through the Jews to actually bring salvation to the entire world. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have Deborah, one of the judges being one of the first leadership, right? Yeah. In the Bible, mm-hmm. we have we have Hulda bringing a positive word right. into a very dark time, right. rising up. And you know, this is the only time we hear about a word from her. But man, what a word! Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like you never know, like how dramatic, like one event in your life is going to be, and how God's going to use you. Yeah. And then we have Esther risen up for such an occasion as this mm-hmm. to about the scripture, right? Yeah. And I think my encouragement as we as we're going to be closing down this episode is, man, woman doesn't matter. When God is, God calls into you an identity. Mm. I'm reminded of Psalm 1 where it says, blesses the man who does not walk in the way of sinners. And it it ultimately says that he is like a tree planted beside still waters Mm. that bears fruit in its season. Well, there is, there is a tree in Israel that bears fruit in its season and is beside still waters and large portions of the the year, it appears dead. Mm. But then when the water hits, it springs into life and produces fruit. Right. And it is faithful in the times where there's no water. And I was like, so like, I think sometimes we trade chase God doing exciting things every day. Mm. The water didn't split every day. Right. The Red Sea didn't split every day. They did have manna from the sky every day. So like that is a little bit misleading. But yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are there are generations where they're just walking out their faithfulness. And the purpose of walking in our faithfulness is so that when the water hits, mm. we spring up and produce fruit. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we would say in the New Testament, when the water of the spirit moves, mm-hmm. we spring to life and fruit comes about and abounds mm-hmm. and the kingdom moves forward. Right. Yeah. And being faithful in those dry times Amen. is, it's difficult, but it is so rewarding 
last week we talked about the Hebrew midwives, mm-hmm. right? How they feared the Lord and the Lord blessed them for, for their action. Mm-hmm. There's actually no account of them actually receiving a word from the Lord, mm-hmm. right? They were just faithful. They were in right. captivity. Yeah. I'm not saying they didn't. There's just no account. Right. Okay. They were, but they were faithful. They were in captivity and they still feared the Lord, even though there is no account of the Lord speaking to the Israelites for about 400 years. Right. Right. Like that's huge. Right. Like the yes. likelihood is that God did speak over those 400 years. Yes. Yeah. Recorded. Right. So that's the likelihood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, one of the things, uh, sorry, go ahead, Shelby. Oh, I was going to say also, we've been talking about how we are preparing for future generations and breaking uh, the generational curses, right? Mm -hmm. And how being faithful in the dryness, dry seasons, means also that we aren't going, we most likely won't see the fruit that's being, that's being bared. Right. That we're preparing the future generations and they're going to be ones, they're going to be the ones that are going to see the fruit and benefit from the fruit of our actions so here and now two fun things to go along with that which we've talked about on the podcast before but you have not been on before mm-hmm. abraham when he's given the promise from god mm-hmm. goes and plants a tamarisk tree mm-hmm. do you know how long a tamarisk tree takes to grow to fruition i do not 400 years abraham didn't plant the tamarisk tree for himself but for a future generation right. to come and take over that land right also, talking about sowing, one of the things that I love in the life of, we also see in the life of Isaac, his son, is that Isaac goes to a land and there is a famine. It's a famine everywhere in the land. And he goes and he plants a crop mm. and it yields a hundred times its, its yield. Right. Mm. When you're walking with God, our job is to go and be faithful. Mm-hmm. It's God's job to bring the increase. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's our job to just be faithful day in and day out and allow him to do his work right. through us. Right. To your point where you you were talking about like total depravity, before Jesus Christ, we had total depravity. Now we're the very righteousness of God. Let's go walk it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for us to go live that out. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So I think I think we convinced you to be with us for one more week, correct? Yes. All right. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna close down uh today. Next week we'll be talking about women in the lineage of Jesus. So that'll be Matthew one. So you can take a look there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Sounds good. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Love and Context. We hope you enjoyed this engaging conversation and gained valuable insights into the powerful message of love within the Bible. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Connect with us by sending us your questions, thoughts, and suggestions to loveandcontext at gmail.com. We greatly appreciate your feedback and ideas for future episodes. Stay connected with us on social media for updates, behind-the-scenes content, and additional resources. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Love and Context. Don't forget to hit that follow button to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join our growing community. Thank you for being part of the Love and Context family. Remember, love is at the heart of it all. Until next time, keep seeking wisdom, embracing love, and living out your faith in the context of today's world. And in my hubris, I was like, no, I'm right, and I don't know what Ben's doing. And, yeah. then, and then I was like, oh, no, I'm wrong. No. Yeah, because we just never know if some weirdo from, like, Norwegian. That's Norwegian fair. Norwegian is definitely a country. That's fair. That's that's ending up in the bloopers, by the way. Norwegian is definitely a country. <laughs> Poop jokes galore. Because Mordecai uh, is a Jew, Hagar, uh, Hagar, not Hagar, Haman. 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 Thank you. <laughs>